Well, our youngest son, Matthew, is pursuing a pharmacy degree and has been taking some chemistry classes. Recently, he showed up to class, and like every good teacher, the professor decided to have a pop quiz. You remember those horrible words, right, back from when you were in school, or maybe you still are, from your teachers, right? They always go something like this as you're rattling into class, maybe a little bit late. They say something like, sit down, do not open your books, your books, don't take any notes, get a pencil out. <laughs> we are having a pop quiz. This caused Matthew, like it does the rest of us, some serious anxiety. Well, make no mistake, though, Matthew signed up for this punishment when he signed up for chemistry. Matthew, when he took chemistry, he has been being taught that chemistry and certainly is going to have to be tested over whether or not he has listened and he has learned that chemistry. I have lamented over the years, I don't know why, I think it's just the teacher in me that I really just want to say, hey, listen, stop everything. Put down your books, close your Bible, we're taking a pop quiz. <laughs> well, in essence, that's what John is going to do for us here in 1 John. And Any discipline comes with a set of instructions, and any set of given instructions will require a test to find out if we have paid attention to those instructions. If we pay attention and we learn those instructions, we get the fruit of passing that test, right? Don't pay attention and don't learn. Well, we know the deal, right? We fail the test. In short, tests reveal what we have been taught and what we have learned. Jesus instructed the apostles in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pay attention to verse 20, teaching them to what? Observe all that I commanded you. The apostles had quite a feat on their hands. They were the new professors of New Testament doctrine. They were to go into all the world to baptize and to teach all that who had commanded Jesus. Well, approximately 60 years after those instructions, John is giving a pop quiz to the Christians in and around Ephesus. He had gone to the nations and is likely in Ephesus writing 1 John, testing the churches like Matthew's professor to see if uh, they are doing what they had been taught. Last week, we learned that the Apostle John wrote 1 John so that our fellowship and our joy may be made complete, that we might turn from sin, know Christ, and know we have eternal life. It's good for us to remember and bring this thought along. I will probably continue to remind us in the context of what we are learning, but Greek dualism or docetism was infiltrating the church's thinking. This false teaching separated one's flesh from their spirit. Christians, for whatever reason, because the world's worldview tends to press in on us, doesn't it, had begun to uh, think about and listen to this teaching and began to separate 
what was spirit from flesh, and uh, they began to buy into this idea that you only live once, so live it up. The problem with this idea of you only live once or live it up now is that we are called, are we not, beloved, to be ambassadors, to be like mirrors who shine back to the world Christ who is here with them. And since Jesus is light, there should be no darkness found in us as we reflect his light to the world. Beloved, the question that the Apostle John was asking Christians 2,000 years ago is the same one that we must ask ourselves today. Are we living in darkness? Notice as we go through 1 John that the letter is not written to unbelievers, but rather to those who, as verse 6 says, and you might underline it, we'll be there today, that those who say that they have fellowship with God. This letter is written to those who are professing to be Christians, and we Christians, like my son Matthew, who signed up for chemistry, right, signed up to live a life that looks like Christ, who was the light of the world. And it is John's intention in these next few verses to test you as to whether or not you truly have fellowship with Christ. As we look at verse 5, everything is framed by this, the thoughts that come after this. Even uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, you might say, come under this heading that God is light. Verse 5, this is the message we, that is the apostles, pulling that from the first four verses that we talked about last week. This is the message we, the apostles, have heard from him. That was Jesus, the word, from verses 1 through 4. And announce to you, that is professing Christians, from verse 6, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And beloved, this is the idea. I could really wrap this message up right now and essentially say that God is light. There is no darkness to be found in him. You and I are ambassadors of Christ who was God, word in, the word in the flesh, and there can be, there should be, there cannot be any darkness found in us, in us at all, at all. In Genesis chapter 1, God took command over the creation and over darkness, and he said this about, uh, he said this, let there be what? Light. Let there be light. Now, some people like to complain, they're stuck in their natural minds, that the reality is, is that God does not then create the sun and the moon and the stars and the lights of the evening and the lights uh, of the day until day four, right? And so they point out that how silly is this, right? That uh, God says, let there be light, and then there's light, and then the sun and the moon and the stars are not even created yet. There can't be light. But the idea that John is communicating to the church is this, is that God lives, and Peter would say, in unapproachable Light. We know that God is spirit. We know that God is love. We know that God is light. It was God's light, his very presence 
that showed up on day one of creation. Day one of creation. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. Once again, we see that God is light in the presence of the Lamb, who is Christ, will light the new heavenly Jerusalem, right? 1,500 miles square. And it says there in Revelation 21 that uh, the the sun does not need to shine there and no darkness is there because the presence of the Lamb lights the city perpetually. It is never dark. It is never light because the Lamb is in the city. And from the Lamb, there is light. Christ is light. Not only is God ontologically light, we know that His light is synonymous with the new life. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Uh, The prologue is very similar to 1 John's. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. That has come into being. Bring some definition to the word, Word. Pay attention here, though, in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, metaphorically, the light, that is Jesus, shines in the world that was darkness, and the darkness, that is the world, did not comprehend the light that showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. Beloved, the first thing John wants Christians to know before he gives a pop quiz is this, God is light. We should look like that light. We should reflect that light to the nations. And any darkness that is in us needs to be pushed away, repented of, and walked away from. So here comes the quiz. Are you ready? Get your shields up or, I don't know, whatever it takes. God's given us a quiz. The Holy Spirit through John is going to present five conditional clauses to professed Christians, essentially saying, you all signed up for this. You all signed up for this class. Now, here it comes, the quiz. Each if-then clause is testing to see if Christians have been deceived by false teachers. Let's see how we do. The Spirit of God carries John along and says, if we, that is, as Christians, right, say that we have fellowship with him and yet, or have a a, a lifestyle and yet walk in a lifestyle of darkness, then, here's the then, we lie and do not practice the truth. Those are very carefully placed words. Peter wrote to Christians scattered abroad in 1 Peter 1, chapter verse 15, saying, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in how much? All of your behavior. Holiness, undoubtedly, if you needed to wrap up uh, all of God's characteristics, which we cannot begin to parse out and find each and every one of them, But we can certainly come to this idea of holy, and that is God's complete 
is his totality of who he is. He is set apart. And here Peter is telling us as believers that we must submit all of our lives, right? That all of our behavior is to be holy as the one who called us, Jesus Christ. That light who came into the darkness was holy, set apart. There is a number of professed evangelical Christians in the world today just not pressing in on the idea that there is a response to walking or following after Christ that looks like walking yourself up this hill with a cross on your back and dying to yourself. They want to celebrate grace, and we celebrate grace, amen. (laughs) But we do not want to forget that it came with a call to follow, to fellowship, to participate with God as he walked himself to the cross and he died a death. We are to be walking ourselves. The things that are unholy in our lives should be set uh, away, put away from us that we might walk in fellowship with him. And this is somewhat of a pop quiz in, in saying, beloved, that we cannot say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. When I was a young electrician's apprentice, I started that up in, in and around Gillette. And if you know any, much about Gillette or that part of our state, it is full of coal mines and, and all kinds of natural resources, oil and gas. And uh, it was the late 90s that there was a big natural gas boom, a coal bed methane gas. If you're old enough, you'll remember that boom was going on. And uh, as a company, we were hired to go out into all these different places all over the country around Gillette, and roads were being built, and uh, there were no, no uh, phone lines, and, and uh, the very first cell phones were these big bag phones, right, that had the antenna, and they were, we thought we were pretty cool. We had those in case we got in trouble or got lost out in the middle of nowhere. But it was isolated, and really nobody knew <clears throat> if we were working or not working or there or not there. And what began to happen, I was a brand-new apprentice, and, and I felt the pressure of having to follow those journeymen and those people that I worked for. And, and as a lot of uh, times that happens where there's no accountability, we would leave at sometimes 4 or 3.34 in the morning and not get home till uh, 6 or 7 o'clock at night. And and uh, we were supposed to turn in our time cards, and anything after eight hours was to be overtime, and anything after 10 was to be double time. And, and what began to happen without any accountability is these journeymen would begin to pad those time cards. And I remember as a brand new Christian feeling this pressure because I refused to walk in that darkness. I refused to write down hours that I did not work, and nobody would have known, and nobody was going to know. But guess what? They were going to know when... The apprentice said we worked nine hours, and they said we worked 12. I could not walk in that darkness. I could not live uh, with myself thinking that I was lying, and I was very much an outward Christian. I I read my Bible during all the break times, and I was nervous about these guys that were pretty rough and gruff, and, and here I was essentially calling them out by not agreeing with their time cards.
Beloved, how far would my testimony have gone had I wrote down false numbers with them? What would it have meant to them if they would have looked at somebody who was outwardly a believer, who was lying right alongside of them? I did not want that darkness at all in my life. If we live like those around us who are walking in darkness, let me say this, you should not tell people that you're a Christian. Don't drag the name of the Lord, Jesus, through the mud like that. You're going to lie if you're going to live like the world, and live like the world, but don't bring your Bible to work. Don't tell people you're a Jesus follower, and all the while you're lying or cheating or stealing right along with them or talking the same way they talk at work or acting the same way they do towards their employers. John is effectively saying here in this first pop quiz, don't say that you are in fellowship with God if you are walking in the darkness. If that describes you and the life you are living, you are, as the text says here, lying and you do not practice the truth. Get that. Practice the truth. John did not say that the truth was not in you. He is saying that you as a Christian are required to practice the truth, to follow after Christ, to walk yourself to the cross, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You're not practicing the truth. Beloved, we must ask the question, are we living in darkness? Do those who we spend the most time with know that we are Christ's followers? If they do not, you should... Let them know, and if you need to repent of the sin that is in your life, do so, and do it quickly. Do not lie to yourself. God is light. There should be no darkness found in us. Now, that's just one of five tests. Are you doing okay? Are you sweating? I'm kind of sweating. I don't know. Verse 7 reiterates this statement in a positive sense. The warning is, do not walk in darkness. Ergo, walk in the light. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, and as he himself is, is the main verb there, in the light, we have, another one, fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. Beloved, notice that even though we are to walk in the light, the reality is that we are still going to sin, right? There's a need for cleansing of sin there in the last part of that verse. The Christian life is a call to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, knowing that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from the sin. We must walk in the light. We must recognize that we are sinners. When Valerie and I were raising the boys, it feels like, and we still kind of have to do this a little bit because they're in our house, you know, but you, you wish they would learn. Someday we think they're going to call us, right, and say, hey, Dad, we finally learned, right? And we're going to go, yay, Lord, and they'll say they learned it from someone else. Hey, well, whatever it takes, Lord. <laughs> we have always, with our boys, uh, when there is sin in their midst, had them to confess that sin to one another. Now, that's not what the text is necessarily getting at here. We know that we're going to confess in verse 9 to our Lord, but 
but we want them to learn that it is important to recognize how their sin is affecting the relationships that they are having between each other, that they might learn that that same kind of sin is going to affect how their relationship is with their spouse, with their employer, with their friends, with their teammates. It's important to just kind of suck it up, isn't it? And say, ugh, that was sin. Forgive me. Christian life is a call to be transformed. The Apostle Paul understood the ongoing battle between the flesh and the spirit well when he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to. And again in chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death, right, that is doing the things that I don't want to do, right? Thanks be to God, verse 25, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we are all together in this, and it is not easy to walk in the light. It is not easy to say to your spouse that I have made a mistake again, It is not easy to go to your employer and say, I cheated on my time card. It is not easy to walk in the light. But I'm telling you, if we do this corporately as a body, if we suffer like this together, it will be kind of like suffering like anything together. And we come together and we walk and we we do this together and we fellowship together with one another in the reality that this is no easy thing to walk in the light. Amen? To walk in the light is to walk in the holiness of our God and King. We must tell those living in darkness that we will not participate in their sinful lifestyles, and we must know that uh, we signed up for this, knowing that it may cost us our livelihoods, and it certainly will cost you some friendships. The second pop quiz is a test of light. Do not walk in darkness. God is light. There should be no darkness found in us. Beloved, walk in the light. This leads us to the third, the third quiz. John, in verse 8, is saying, Do not be deceived. The Spirit says through him, If we say that we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Remember, pull yourself back to this first century that the false teachers were saying that the flesh was not uh, was evil and that the spirit was good. This was causing some to say that they didn't have sin. It was just their flesh that was sinning. Friends, any attack on the nature of how the the flesh and the spirit interact and we become one being, one person, who can parse between a person's thoughts and a person's actions? We cannot, certainly. Maybe God uh, obviously could do that, but there is no way for us to do that. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is very clear that the two are really one. And we could read in Proverbs chapter 4, I think, it's verse 23, right, out of the issues of life or out of the issues of the heart, life happens, right? We become a picture of that which is going on on the inside of us. We can't get away from that. 
in any attack on that nature that, that, that both the spirit and the flesh are intertwined is an attack on our need for Jesus, both in his spirit and in his humanity. The Holy Spirit inspiring the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart, the inward person, the very thing that these false teachers are saying was all good. God is saying through Jeremiah, whose bones are set on fire, the heart is more deceitful than any el- than all else and is desperately what? Sick. You couldn't get more opposite than when the false teachers are saying here. You couldn't get a more opposite statement. We often say this, don't we? Trust your heart or follow your gut. Jeremiah and the Spirit of God says, don't do that. (laughs) It's desperately sick. Turn to the Word of God. Find out where you are walking wrong and repent and do. As God has said, in addition, Jesus obliterated any thought that we could separate our inner man from our outer. Saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Friends, the spirit of our age says the same thing these false teachers were saying in John's age. They are saying, celebrate you and do not let anyone tell you that your feelings are sinful. If you call yourself a Christian in here this morning and have no sense of your sinfulness, you are deceived. You are deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. Beloved, the Holy Spirit is saying, do not be deceived. God is light. There should be no darkness found in us. Third test is do not be deceived. The fourth, well, is the opposite of being deceived about our sin. It is being aware of our sin. It is well said of a genuine Christian's life that as we grow in maturity, we sin less, but the sin that we do commit bothers us more. That should be the walk. That should be the Christian walk, right? We may be more consumed or bothered by the idea that we continue in sin, but we should be sinning less. And here it is before us, the next test of fellowship with God and with each other is to not be silent about our sin, Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, so often I speak with either one of you or I experience the very same thing that each and every one of you do, and that is that I commit some kind of sin that I have not yet overcome. You can talk to my wife later, she'll tell you about a few of those. And it bothers me, right? So I say to myself, self, if you were really saved, you would not keep sinning the same way. And I get discouraged like many of you may to get discouraged. Well, when I am discouraged, I turn to this verse really like a starving child who finds a meal and I sit at its table, the table of 1 John 1, 19, and I remind myself that my Salvation does not depend on my ability to turn from sin. Jesus is, as the text says, 
faithful. He wants to forgive my sin, and he is just and he is righteous to cleanse me from all the confessed sin that I have in my life. And why? He paid the price for it. Christ paid all that price, and he says, confess your sin. You must be aware, beloved, if you are unaware of sin in your life, you are deeply scarred. You, you have uh, calluses on your heart that are so thick, you are no longer listening to the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit has not yet been placed in your heart. In other words, you are a professing believer who is not truly a believer. The Spirit of God must come into your life. The Spirit of God will, because it is the nature of what He does, convict you of sin. And when you get that conviction, you go to Him, our one and only, our high priest, and you confess it. I remind myself that Jesus is faithful when I'm down and when I'm discouraged about the sin that has once again tripped me up. Not only is he faithful, but he is righteous. He is just. He is the judge. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father with all authority to forgive. Amen? Let that encourage your heart. Notice that we go to him for confession. We do not confess to some sinful other person who has a title or some dead saint. The Spirit inspired Paul to write to the church at Ephesus. We just studied this a couple months ago in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, saying this, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews lets us know that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. It is his role. We pray to the Father. Our prayers come through the Son, Jesus Christ, who is mediating. He is offering these prayers. He is saying, this is your Son, Father. And we do that by the power and the, and the, and the presence of the Spirit of God in our life. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, we confess our sin to God, and it makes our relationship stronger. Amen? Beloved, make it a habit to confess your sin. Do it out loud. I don't know. Let me just help you there. It's so easy to try and do that internally, and then I'm thinking about this, or I'm thinking about that. Take some time. Get on your knees. Tell the Lord what he already knows about you. And stand up and look up and know that you are loved by your Father. Beloved, do not be silent. Confess your sin because God is light. There should be no darkness found in us. This brings us to the final pop quiz for those who claim to have fellowship with God and one another. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar and his word is not in us. God proclaimed in the garden uh, to Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil, for in the day of you, that you eat of it, you will surely die. Friends, death is coming for every one of us. The reality of this death is proof 
that everyone has sinned. Paul would pin to the Romans, for the wages of sin is what? Help me. The wages of sin is death. It is death. The fact that you and I die, the fact that, I, that, that, that every beat of your heart is closer to the last time that it will beat, the reality that each and every one in here, pending the Lord not coming back, is going to die is the reality that you are a sinner. It is the proof that God has given to humanity that you have sinned. The wages for your sin is death. It is death. For anyone, especially a professed Christian, to say that they have not sinned is nothing short of calling God a liar. We have the proof of it. We see it. Death is all around us. It is to the tune of 750,000 some people right now in a virus, and and others are dying from heart attacks, and all of the family before us is gone, and you and I will go someday. Death is the wages of sin. The first step in being saved from God's judgment on sin is to recognize that we have sin, and for us to say that we have no sin means we are absolutely blinded to our condition, and we make God a liar. The first step is to recognize that sin, and if we deny our sinfulness, we are saying to our Savior, we do not need you. Beloved, have you confessed your sin? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? in your life? If not, let me ask you, do it now, right now. God is God, and God is going to judge, and he is going to judge sin. I know that you're going to die, and death is the proof of your sin. Would you cry out and confess Jesus as master with your mouth, Would you believe that God raised him from the dead, proving that death had no power over Jesus? Do you get it? No power. Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Because the wages of sin was death, and death could not hold a sinless man. Believe that God raised him from the dead, and the Bible says God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you will be a New creature, a new creation. Beloved, do not call God a liar. God is light. There should be no darkness found in us. Dr. Stephen Davey was my pastor for a couple years and certainly a mentor in ways that he probably doesn't understand that he was. Wrote a commentary on first, second, and third John and recorded a story found in a book that he had by Richard Hofler. It was so wonderful that I could not help but to share it with you today. The story was about a young boy named Jimmy, who along with his older sister was spending a couple days visiting his grandparents. While there, Jimmy's grandparents gave him his first slingshot and told him he could play with it in the woods behind their house. He had great fun. He was taking aim. Have you ever had a slingshot? Oh, those dangerous things. (laughs) 
and letting a little stone fly. He never hit a thing that he aimed for. He sounds a lot like me. On his way home for dinner, he cut through the backyard and saw his grandmother's pet duck. He took aim. He let a rock fly. And to his utter surprise, the rock hit the duck in the head and instantly killed it. The boy panicked, of course, wouldn't we all? In desperation, he took the dead duck and he hid it behind the house in the woodpile. As he turned to run into the house, he looks over and he sees his sister, Ashley. Standing over by the corner of the garage, she had seen everything. They walked into the house together, but she never said a word. After dinner, Grandma walked into the kitchen and said, Okay, Ashley, let's clear the table and wash the dishes. Ashley hollered from the dining room, Grandma, Jimmy said he wanted to help you in the kitchen today, didn't you, Jimmy? With that, she whispered to him, Remember the duck. So Jimmy did the dishes. Later in the day, their grandfather called the children to go fishing. Grandmother said, I'm sorry, but Ashley can't go. I need her to help me get supper. And Ashley smiled and said, Jimmy actually told me he wanted to help with dinner tonight. Isn't that right? She said to Jimmy, as she again whispered, remember the duck. Well, this went on for several days, and Jimmy ended up doing all the chores for both him and his sister. Finally, he couldn't take the imprisonment and the guilt any longer. So he went to his grandmother and confessed everything. But to his surprise, his grandmother took him in her arms and said, I know. I was standing at the kitchen window, and as the whole thing happened, I watched it. And because I love you, I was already willing to forgive you several days ago, and I would never again have mentioned the duck. Eleven, John is giving a pop quiz to the first century church, and he is reminding them as the ultimate teacher that God is light, and in us there should be no darkness. And like Jimmy, we often get pulled one direction or another, and the enemy is calling to us and saying, remember the duck. I would encourage you to run to the table of 1 John 1.9 and confess your sin. God knows it already anyway. He's already, like Jimmy's grandmother, predetermined that he will forgive you. The pop quiz has been given, how did you do? The Apostle John was asking Christians 2,000 years ago the same questions a professed Christian must ask today. Are we living in darkness? God knows it already. He sees it already. There is no hiding from him. He is standing at the window of your life watching. We call ourselves Christians, ones who have fellowship with the Father. We must remember that God is light 
And these five propositions will continue to serve as a quiz in our lives. Beloved, do not lie. Do not walk in darkness. Do not be deceived. Do not be silent about your sin and do not call God a liar. Friends, God is light. There should be no darkness found in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and both that it cuts and it heals. I pray by your spirit today that as we consider these tests, these propositions, these clauses, Lord, that we wouldn't just blow by them this morning, that we might return to them this week and ask ourselves if somewhere the great false teacher, the devil, has deceived us into thinking that we can live in the darkness and be comfortable as Christians. Help us, Lord, to to have that stark reality in our lives that the two cannot equal. And either we are so deceived and hard-hearted, God, that our lives will not measure up to anything as Christians, or even worse, Lord, we don't know you at all. I pray, Lord, that the weight of your word would crush us, that we might go back to our lives, look at each relationship we have, and ask, are we walking in the darkness? Help us, Lord, to return to you, to walk in the light, to have fellowship with you, Lord, and to have fellowship with one another. We'll give you all the praise and the glory, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen.